0: We have just finished Romans eight. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> We're halfway through the uh, letter, so that's uh, that's good. Um, but when you have finished Romans eight, <laughs> <clears throat> see, I have a doctorate. I have a doctorate from Dallas Seminary, and I know great and wise things most people don't know. So when you're through chapter eight, the next is chapter nine. So here we go. Uh, At the end of chapter 8, I didn't have this on the screen last week, but I think it's an important affirmation to assert. Paul has just said, no created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes? If no created thing can separate us Why is Israel separated from the love of God? That's, that's an, that's an, um, he said God divorced him. Um, th- that's actually a metaphor. Uh, it's uh, in, in Isaiah, God says, where is the divorce, the bill of divorce? I have not divorced you, but uh, I uh, don't remember whether it's, um, Jeremiah, or I think it's Jeremiah, says, God divorced Israel. And Hosea gives us a, a picture of the relationship between God and Israel. The picture is the picture of uh, Hosea and his own marriage. He married Gomer. I would have divorced Gomer, too. But um, he, he married Gomer. And Gomer turned out to be a real mess. Um, There are all kinds of questions that come up about that particular relationship. But um, the reality is that Gomer went her own way. And so the three children that are born to Hosea and Gomer, um, born in the family, uh, perhaps the first one was actually Hosea's child. But to the second one, uh, the the second one is uh, there's a statement made that raises some question about what the origin of that child is. So, Jezreel, uh, not my people, Jezreel sown by the Lord, uh, is the is one way to translate the name Jezreel. The other way is to say scattered by the Lord. Uh, Then, not my people, and not 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 compassionate. Uh, how do you translate it, Uh, not loved, are the three children that are born in that relationship. And yet, even at the end of chapter 1, the the Lord anticipates in Hosea um, the the, uh, uh, future restoration. And chapter 2 talks about how God will so work in Israel's life to drive them back to himself. But in chapter 3 of Hosea, uh, he tells um, Hosea to go get his wife. Now that's an open question too. Is, is it the same woman or is it another woman? But it seems to me to be most fitting to the whole imagery of the chapters that it's to go back to Gomer and, and bring her home. But to live with her uh, separate. And that's going to be for many days. And he, and he explains it at the end of chapter 3, which is a very short chapter. If you ever want to memorize a, a chapter of the Bible, Hosea 3 is a good one to do. It's only four or five verses. So, <laughs> uh, But um, uh, God says to, to Hosea, I want you to do this because this is the way I'm going to be with Israel. I'm gonna, we're going to live together, but we're going to be estranged. For many days, there will be no priest, no, there will be no pillar, and so forth. So there is this, this odd relationship. Are they divorced or not? The answer is, in a figurative sense, yes. In, in, a, in another figurative sense, no. They live together. Israel has not forfeited its position as the people of God. But neither are they enjoying their position as the people of God. So, um, why is Israel in the position they're in? Yes, sir.
1: Starts with the word that up there. That, that is in Christ Jesus our Lord.
0: It will? No, It's not the point. Um, there. Israel's not in that. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, okay. The point here in, in Romans 8 is to assert that we have no means of being separated, but folks... There are people who have had relationship with God that are separated. So is it possible that we might fall into the same position? And, and I, the answer that Paul gives is no. So I, so I come back, well, we've got to talk about that. Uh, don't, you're, you're getting ahead of me. I've got to set up the problem so we can solve it. So, uh, the, the issue is to be aware of what the problem is. And the problem is... Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord, but Israel is separated. So how can we account for this, brother? Because of unbelief. Yes, and that's where we're headed, but let's get there. Um, so <laughs> uh, so uh, we've got this, this long passage in 9, 10, and 11 that's going to address these specific issues. Uh, so we move into it. Here's an overview and a review. I want to get back and look back where we he, where he have been in Romans and then think about where we're going in light of that. Um, part one, we've just finished, as of last week, chapter eight, um, it's a demonstration of God's grace received by the Romans. Why is it necessary for, God to, to, for Paul to go back and demonstrate that? Well, what's going on in Romans 14? No, that's 13. Yeah, 14. Yeah, close, but no cigar. <laughs> that's the weak and the strong. They can't get along with one another. Why? Because they think meat really matters to God. The strong think it's so important to eat meat that they'll. Even? lead their weaker brothers to violate their consciences for the sake of meat. And the weaker brothers will condemn the strong because of meat. It's incredibly important that we be disabused of every shred of self-righteousness. Donald Barnhouse said, they changed one of the hymns, Alas and did my savior bleed and did my sovereign die, would he devote that sacred head? Such a worm. For sinners such as I. He said they changed the words because we must retain some shreds of dignity. God talks to wayward Israel. You worm, Jacob. The, the point is, our sin is such that I have no ground for Self-righteousness. I have no ground for confidence in myself. I have no ground, and that's why Romans begins with 118. <laughs> the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness and wickedness of mankind. you remember this? So, so it's the unrighteousness and wickedness of Gentiles. Yes? No, All. Oh well, it's the unrighteousness and wickedness of the wicked, but not of the righteous. No, Paul's answer is essentially going to be there. And in fact, he says it: there is none righteous, all except me, <laughs> all except my child, all except my mother, all except my yes everybody's wicked except the ones that I love and they're just pretty wonderful and God ought to love what I love amen and the way I love them God ought who's saying this a man who is not righteous is saying God ought to love the way I love and the people I love and unless he loves the way I love then there's something wrong with that God. I reject that God. My God wouldn't do that. Well, if that's the God you have, you've got the wrong God. Because there's only one out there, and he slaughtered his son for the wickedness of mankind. Yes? So he has has belabored this issue, eight chapters, to take away all the groundwork for our confidence in ourselves to leave nothing left for us except (laughs) confidence in jesus are you with me now he's going to turn to um, so that's 116 to 8 839 and then in 9 to 11 he's going to apply this to to israel and there are several things that he's going to accomplish in this section first he's going to explain um, a problem israel's unbelief we'll turn back to romans 3 just a second in Romans 3, he raises this issue. Um, so verse 1, uh, What then is the advantage of the Jew or the prophet of circumcision much in every way? For first, they were entrusted with the uh, oracles of God. Well, what then? If some were, were unbelieving, will their unbelief uh, annul the faithfulness of God? Who's he talking about, if some were unbelieving? What are we talking Who? What people? Jews. Jews. Is there any advantage in being a Jew? Yeah. But if Jews stand first in the plan of God for salvation, and then the Gentiles, then they stand first in God's plan for judgment, and then the Gentiles. Okay, so if Israel is unbelieving, then the judgment of God must fall upon them. Yes or no? Well, what does the judgment of God mean? Well, we, we think in terms of, of one destiny only, and that is hell. But we must think in terms of many more kinds of destinies. One kind of destiny is what we've just been talking about. In Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea, Israel not divorced, but divorced, separated from God, and yet the people of God? Blinded. Second blinded. Uh, Corinthians chapter 3, they're Wait, blinded. In
1: that
0: covenant Romans, uh, not blinding so much, but. Uh, it blind. Well, it is, and, and we'll talk about that. We've got some hard ideas to deal with in. Romans 9, 10, and 11. 11 is so difficult. It, it, the way we've read, read it regularly leads to the conclusion that you could lose your salvation. But if anything, I have read up to this point, if I have read it properly, that Romans doesn't leave any room for that. So I can't interpret chapter 11 that way. I've got to find a different way to read chapter 11. So what do I do? Well, uh, I've got first this issue... If Israel to whom the oracles of God came, if they received the oracles, the oracles of God, Paul will say and has said, include the notion that righteousness is by faith and not by works. Israel never seemed to get that message. Well, revelation of God. Um, the, The larger issue is, When Paul is arguing for righteousness by faith in Romans 4, he goes to Abraham. Yes? Where did Paul learn about Abraham? From his mama. (laughs) Where did Paul learn about Abraham? Where does mama learn about Abraham? From the scrolls. From the scrolls. What scrolls? The revelation of God, the oracles of God. Yes? If Abraham is right with God by faith and not by works... I I think I've mentioned to you, I was saying ideas like this, although putting more emphasis on it, in a class at the seminary several years ago. A lady slammed her hand down on the table. She said, you mean to tell me God took a sinner to be the father of the faithful? And I, I... it just struck me funny. Everything strikes me as funny. That's not good. Uh, there are times when that shouldn't happen. But there <laughs> wasn't anybody else to choose. <laughs> if, if we have read Romans 1, 2, and 3 right, who else does God save but the undeserving? So, So what else you got but Abraham? So if Abraham can't be righteous by his works... No one can be righteous by his works. Yes? And the hope, only hope, is that God will do something. My favorite professor said uh, he had a friend who was at a gospel meeting, and the preacher said, Now, friends, in my preaching, I have done all I can to bring you to salvation. I have preached the gospel. God has done all he can do to bring you to salvation. He sent Jesus for you all sins. Now the decision rests with you. And he said the preacher asked my friend to pray. And he said I thought I don't know what to pray for. God's done all he can do. What's to pray? And I he said my friend said, "Lord, I know you've done all you can do, but surely you can find something else to do to save these poor people." <laughs> Folks, we don't realize how dead dead is. We don't recognize how, how dark the blindness of the world is. We don't recognize how deaf we are to things spiritually. Um, um, how do you rouse a deaf and blind and dead world? How do you rouse a deaf and blind and dead soul? My favorite professor further said, it is not at all clear what, ha- what uh, 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 Eve gave Adam, but whatever she fed him has disagreed with the uh, human race ever since. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, he said, he did not simply have indigestion. He died. And we are born spiritually dead. So here is Israel. They received the message. They had the message from the prophet of God, Moses, for 40 years. And they rarely ever responded in faith. I, find, I think I find once in Exodus through Deuteronomy where the nation of Israel responded in faith. That's in Exodus 14.32. Every subsequent reference to faith is that they are unbelieving. If faith is what we've been saying it is, loving God with all your heart, soul, and strength, what does Paul say about love in, and the permanence of love in 1 Corinthians 13? It never, fails. it never fails. If faith is loving God with all your heart, soul, and strength, you may not always act lovingly. Yes? But there is if, if love never fails, if it's real love, it it never dies. It can't. And further, as we've seen, if our faith is sustained by the power of God, in first Peter chapter three, verses I'm sorry, chapter one verses three to five, if our faith is actually a gift of God, as Paul says in Philippians one twenty nine, and if he sustains our faith, then it can't fail. So why hasn't Israel, who for 15 centuries has had the revelation of the, um, of the alien righteousness of God given through faith to a sinful people, why haven't they believed it? Maybe, maybe Paul got it wrong. So that's, this is the first reason chapters 9, 10, and 11 are important. If Paul got it wrong, then the whole book of Romans is effectively uh, undermined. Um, I think that's what we say there. There's a quotation here um, uh, that I must deal with uh, that's coming up short. There are two other reasons that he must do this material in chapters 9, 10, and 11. First, what we've just said first, to rescue his gospel. Because if God isn't faithful to Israel, he may not be faithful to us. If God can lose, you, you know, Psalm 23, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. If he loses his sheep, he's a bad shepherd. But Psalm 23, we call the what kind of psalm? What, how do we? The, the Good Shepherd. If he's a good shepherd, he doesn't lose his sheep. Yes? But he's lost his sheep. So that's the first thing I have to establish. Second, Romans 1 3 and 4 have taught us something important about salvation. Salvation is not complete until the kingdom. The gospel, turn back to Romans 1 3 and 4. Look at that. Um the gospel in verse 2 is defined in verses 3 and 4. What is the gospel? What is it about?
1: About Jesus.
0: Yeah. And what character of Jesus? Descendant of David. Descendant of David according to the flesh. Uh-huh. But what 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 Truth about Jesus is revealed at the resurrection from the dead. No, what does the text say? Son of of God with power. Well, what does Son of God mean? Well, second member of the Trinity. He became the Son of God at the resurrection. He was declared to be only at the resurrection. He had never declared his deity before that. He did. He did. So so we can't be talking about the deity of Jesus at this point. We must be talking about the royalty of Jesus, his kingship. Folks, the resurrection is essential. Acts 13, 31, 32, 33, uh, Paul says, um, he's speaking in Antioch, uh, not in Antioch, he's, uh, well, maybe in Antioch, no, yeah, Pisidia, he's there, I've forgotten where he is now. He's speaking in the synagogue and he says uh, God has fulfilled this promise to us their children by raising Jesus from the dead as it is written in the second Psalm you are my son this day I have begotten you Um, is Jesus begotten at the resurrection as son of God as deity And the answer has to be no, but Psalm 2 is not about the deity of the king either anyway. Psalm 2 is about the Davidic king. Psalm 2 verse 7 says, I will declare the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. This day I have begotten you. Are you with me here? Yes, no? You you remember this? Yes? All right. David, according to Acts 4, is the author of Psalm 2. And he was begotten as the second member of the Trinity. No, in what way is David son of God? His
1: lineage.
0: He, he's king. He's king. This is this is royalty language. You remember the Davidic covenant, Second uh, uh, Samuel seventeen. Uh, one coming from your own loins will sit on your throne after you. I will be his father. He shall be my son. So the sonship language is kingship language. If the gospel is about one who is king, simply getting to the resurrection is not salvation. So in Romans 8, we talked about, look, look back at Romans 8 again at verse, uh, oh, what verse is it, 23. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the spirit grown within ourselves while we await the adoption that is, the redemption of our body. Simply getting to the resurrection is not what the gospel is about. Simply getting to heaven is not what the gospel is about. It's about much more. It's about God establishing his kingdom on the earth. Are you with me? Uh, If the gospel is about God establishing his kingdom on the earth until that kingdom is established, the gospel is not complete. The saving work of God is not complete. Why in verses 19, 20, and 21 of chapter 8 does Paul talk about the creation? Because the creation is as much of a part of what God is saving as you and I are. And until the creation is saved, we are not fully saved. Um, so I have to have more if Israel then remains in unbelief and blessing must come to the nations through Israel then until Israel can be a blessing the nations of the earth cannot have blessing. People of the earth can. But the nations can. Fred, I'm sorry I put you off so long. If we're
1: talking about the uh, fact that Israel in the wilderness rarely was is Israel in belief yeah, last week in the passage, you pointed to just before, 829, you pointed us to Psalm 44, mm-hmm. and where they said, "All this has happened. though we yep. have not forgotten you. Yep. We have not. Was that a period of time, would you say, when they were in a state of better relationship?
0: Yes, of course. And uh, if, if especially we were right in saying that David may be the king who is in view, then um, than David, as the king goes in Israel, so goes the nation. So the better the king is, the better off the nation is. The worse the king is, the worse off the nation is. You see this in kings consistently. So, um, uh, and until, by the way, until you get to Josiah, when you have a very godly king, but the nation uh, won't follow him. So, and, and that his three uh, successors then are the ones who uh, see the downfall of the of the nation of judah the the point is though that by and large um, i'm sorry not by, by and large back to the issue of the kingdom if the kingdom is part of the gospel israel has to be part of the kingdom god promised on oath that he would do it and not only so but god speaking to israel read sometime isaiah 41 through 48 and look at the promises made to Israel and, and look for conditions. What are the conditions imposed upon Israel? Here's is what you will find. I'll spend the next uh, five seconds telling you everything that is relevant here.
1: Okay,
0: go. <laughs> there, there's no condition. Folks, no, there's no, no condition. No condition is stated for Israel. He is going to save the nation, though not every individual has ever belonged to it. And we'll see that coming up in this Romans nine as as we as we press on. This is this is hard for us sometimes, but we know that sinful people deserve what? Hmm. Salvation. Sinful people deserve salvation. Yeah, judgment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I go to sleep. <laughs> my eyes are open. But my... um, so this is a second reason why we've got to deal with chapter 9. We've got to see how is God going to work out the problem of Israelite unbelief. Something has to happen. Cannot stay there. And then third... This is number two, but number third, 38 and 39 have, cre- have created the problem for us. If God will harden Israel, maybe he might harden us. And what Paul is going to do in chapters 9, 10, and 11 is, is to say that, in fact, under their covenant relationship, I want you to remember... Throughout this whole period in which the New Testament is being written, Israel remains under the Mosaic Covenant. This is the problem. They won't leave the Covenant to join the New Covenant. Our our brothers and sisters who disagree with me on (laughs) the theology that I'm teaching here would say, No, no, no. The New Covenant is the Old Covenant. It's It's just got better promises but no it's not saying that it has better promises that it's better it's saying it's a better covenant i i, I can become better than myself but i remain myself yes but paul uh, but hebrews says chapter 8 this is not like the covenant that i made with their fathers are you with me so if these are the th- if these things are true I have to find a way to move Israel out of the Mosaic Covenant into the New Covenant, satisfy all the the things that are necessary in terms of the grace of God, and then we can can move on to the fulfillment of the kingdom. And that's where, at at the end of chapter 11, that's where we're going to end up with the hope of Israel being saved. Turn to chapter 11 toward the end. Um, Verse 26. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The Redeemer shall come from Zion. Um, He will turn ungodliness away from Jacob. And and, uh, this shall be my covenant with them uh, whenever I forgive their sins. The Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why won't, you let him Why won't you let him come in? There's nothing in this world to keep you apart. What is your answer to him time after time? He has waited before and now he's waiting again. You know, he's standing at the door and knocked, Knocks. And there's no handle on the outside. Have you ever noticed that? He won't batter the door down. He's waiting for you to open the door. But God also asks in the prophets, is the arm of the Lord too short that it cannot save? And what is the answer? Well, for people who follow that line of reasoning, the answer is yes. God can't because your will is supreme over his will. And what we're going to see in Romans 9, 10, and 11 is God never has a problem with the will of man. So, chapter 9, there's a five step argument to explain what's going on between God and Israel in all of this. First step, verses uh, 1 to 29 of chapter 9, is that God has hardened unbelieving Israel. Now, that sounds terrible, hardening. Yes? Well, Yes, but it sounds terrible, doesn't it? Because, I mean, think about it. Pharaoh was this nice guy, amen? He was a wonderful fella, and just as kind and loving as he could be, a uh, good citizen, ruled his country well. Um, but God took this nice man and made him wicked. He didn't want to be wicked. So when Moses came back to Egypt... He says to Pharaoh, "Thus says the Lord: Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness." And Pharaoh says, "Oh Moses! I mean, you've seen Prince of Egypt, yes? So Moses, you're my old friend, my buddy. We used to we used to play together, man. We had fun. And I've long I have longed to see you these forty years. You've been gone. Where have you been? And 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 here you come asking me to do this. And just because of you, I would do it. And if if God would let me, I would let them go, but I can't, because God won't let me. Does that make any sense for, for Pharaoh? Why? Yeah, well we don't know that. He thinks he's God, so that later he will say to, to Moses, "Who is the Lord that I should obey him?" He has no Don't you remember Romans three? Folks, every time you think you have a problem with Romans 9, turn back to Romans 3, verses 10 to 18. And just remember that about everybody you know and ever have known and ever will know, Romans 3, 10 to 18 are true. There is none righteous, not even one, including your grandbaby. Um... There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Is that really true? You know who Paul's writing this about? He's quoting it from the Psalms. Do you know who it's written about? Jews. Jews. And they're the best people that the world has produced in terms of godliness. And yet, among them, there is none who seeks God. They've all turned aside. They've together become useless. There is no one who does goodness, not even up to one. <laughs> Their throat is an open sepulcher. As you go through the week, start listening. How much constructive discussion do you hear and how much destructive constru- uh, discussion do you hear? Their throat is an open tomb. Their tongues they have with their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Poison of asps? Do you know anything about asp?
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. We saw a, a six step snake in India one year and we asked the doctor who was showing us well, why do you call it a six step snake? She said um, if it bites you, you have six steps to get your or- affairs in order. She said we keep Anti-venom on the. We were on a hospital uh, compound, and she said we keep anti-venom here all the time for this.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: This is the imagery. Uh, w- when we speak, we speak words that deal death. This is this is in part, and th- and and this is a bit off the subject. So please forgive me for this, but but it it seems important to me. How much of the discussion in the last week has been constructive, and how much has just been throwing? Um, charges and blame, and I have a friend of a former student at the seminary who said i'm not going to do anything negative anymore. I'm going I'm to turn to a positive." She had to get her pain out. I, that made sense to me. That makes perfect sense. But at some point we've got to get past all this and find ways. But folks, the problem is, there are no ways to reconciliation except through Jesus, through the cross. Um, Verse 14, their uh, mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Have you ever heard anybody talk in this world? Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. And here's the reason. There is no fear of God before their eyes. If this is all true, then it's true not just about Jews, because they're, they're the ones whom God set apart and made a unique people. And yet it's, all of this is true about them, but if it's true about the best of humanity, it's true about all the rest as well. And if that's the case, then folks, um, just keep that in mind in chapter 9. It's hard for us to read chapter 9. There's, there are hard things here. But the issue in chapter 9, verses 1 to 29, is that God has taken unbelieving Israel for his own purposes and hardened them, not by making good people bad, but making, giving sinful people, remember chapter 1, giving people, sinful people the opportunity to practice the sin that's already in their hearts. Turn back, turn back to chapter 1. Yeah, yeah. So, verse um, uh, 22. Supposing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and their foolish heart was darkened. Um, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the likeness of the image of corruptible man and um, reptiles and four-footed things and creeping things. I'm sorry, birds and four-footed animals and creeping things for this reason God handed them over um, in the passions of their hearts to, uh, to uncleanness to dishonor their bodies among themselves so what is this handing them over is God just taking his hands off and letting them go where they want no more than is God handing Jesus over to the cross to the cross taking his hands off Jesus and letting him go where he wants. No more than is Judas simply taking his hands off Jesus and go, letting him go wherever he wants. They're directing Jesus to a goal. It's the same word in all three cases. Translated differently for, for right reasons, but it's the same word in all three cases. No, God is removing his protective grace His general, his his um, what's the word I want? Um, Special grace and I can't think of the other term. It's it's the grace of God that comes to all humanity. Why is it that Peter can say, God causes His rain to fall on the just and the unjust? Common grace. That's the word I wanted. Uh, In His common grace, He protects people from sinfulness. Why were you able to drive here without being rammed by a car maliciously? Why were you able to to get here without being mugged and robbed? Because God is still protecting us against all the sin that's in our hearts to do as a people. Are you with me here? So when God starts to remove his common grace... He gives, free, he gives mankind freer reign to do more of the sin that's in their heart. And he does it again in verse 26. And he does it again in verse 28. So, so he progressively removes his common grace. Can you give us an example of removing the common grace? Uh, well, it's right here in Romans 1.
1: Well, what, for instance, if, if I came up with cancer, Removing
0: no, no. I, here I'm talking about protecting us against sin that's in our hearts. So, folks, look. What's going on in Venezuela today? Isn't it Venezuela that's having so much trouble? What's going on in Venezuela today is because of the wickedness of human heart. Why isn't it going on in the United States? Because God has still kept his common grace among us. But look at Look at the sins in verses 24 and 25, 26 and 27, and 28 to 30. Uh, one. Look at the sins. Do you see any of them here among us? One. No, chapter one. Chapter one. Okay. Yeah. Do you see any of those sins among us yes. in our nation? Yes. God is removing his common grace. And as he removes it, we will get deeper and deeper into the, into the mire that chapter 1 is, is affirming till we get to verse 32, which is the, the nadir of the whole thing. Um, well, let me finish here. Uh, these are the ones who, though they know the decree of God that those who do such things are, are worthy of death, not only do them, but no. They, de- they take pleasure in people who do them. And watch, folks, our our country is getting more and more to the point where we take pleasure in the evil of others. Go ahead now.
1: So if God takes away the common, is taking away the common grace because of the atrocities that we are committing today as a nation, mm-hmm. uh, we Christians are part of that nation.
0: We're going to suffer with that.
1: So is he taking away from us?
0: No. We have special grace. So, we're, we're able, this is what Romans is about. We don't have to get into that rut. What we call the um, cycle of sin in Romans 1. We are broken free of that. So, if the common
1: grace of the nation is being taken away, okay, and we're part of that nation, okay, we're going to suffer because of that, mm-hmm. okay, but we have the assurance of salvation. Yes. Okay, so. Taking away the common grace is you're
0: taking it away from people who refuse to believe. That's right. Okay, so Yeah. Now, just as just as in ancient Israel, I've I've done this before, we'll do it again, it, because it, it it may be useful here. Do you know anything? Do you know the name Nabal?
1: Yes.
0: What do you know about Nabal? He was a, he was a fool. What do you know about his life? What, what do you know about his life situation?
1: He was
0: a king. No, he was not a king. He was very
1: wealthy.
0: Very wealthy. What did the covenant promise to Israel when they are righteous? Wealth. Yes. Nabal is wicked. How come he has wealth? Well, he might have gotten it by wicked means, but the text never says that. Um, he's living under under the blessing of God like a fool, so he dies. But he's a wicked man living in the blessing of God. Where did Jeremiah the prophet die? Egypt. What do you think Jeremiah's spiritual condition was? Was he righteous or wicked? Righteous. How come he died in Egypt? yeah but what does it mean to die in egypt do you know it's the it's the last of the curses in Deuteronomy 28 when israel is disobedient they will they will return to egypt that i said they would never go back there and there they will die and jeremiah a righteous man dies under the uh, uh, under the uh, curse of god not himself dying a cursed death but that's where he died righteous people in a day when God is judging a nation, suffer the judgment too, but we are we are called to be lights in the middle of it. Yeah. So it's safe to say that the
1: common grace, the, the special grace will never
0: be with That's right. That's what I've been on. Common grace right. could be. Yeah. It's being it's being removed. We we experience we, we don't realize this. We're too American. We don't realize that we belong in a nexus of relationships, and that nexus of relationships is affected by everyone who's in that nexus. So if your family has somebody in the family who's really causing trouble, everybody suffers, and it doesn't matter whether you're born again or not. Yes? If your father um, is an alcohol, alcoholic who, who loves to gamble and gambles away every paycheck he ever gets... You go hungry whether you're a believer or not. Yes or no?
1: Well,
0: that's the way it is with nations and people groups, too. And we 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 can't change that. God has created us to live in this kind of connection. This is part of what Proverbs is about. It's important to be wise because if even if nobody else hears your wisdom, the community that you're in is affected by your wisdom. It's important to avoid folly. Because if everybody, even if everyone else in the community is is wise, they're still affected by your folly. And thus Paul says, or uh, uh, Proverbs says, you must get, a, get rid of the scoffer. Drive him out. He's, he's worse than a, an arsonist.
1: Last week you said something about stretching faith. Mm-hmm.
0: God stretches everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Is this an example of that? Yeah. So if we're, at, we're in the United States, and
1: the United States is going nuts and is saying I want to be... Everything's right. God's yep. dead. I say God's dead. Yeah. The God's dead. We'll run the show. We're in the in that populace. We're in that cohort of people. Okay. So is that an example of? Okay, while you're in this mess down there, I'm stretching your faith.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure. Every suffering is a stretching experience for faith.
1: The amount of abortion committed in the is that an example?
0: Yeah. And God says uh, that the blood of the, of the innocent cries out to him from the ground. And we have, I've forgotten the numbers now,
1: 60 million.
0: 60 million. So God in hardening is not making good people bad. He's taking sinful people and removing the restraints so that they can do more and more of their sin. Second start, step in the argument in chapters 9, 10, and 11. Uh, Israel rejected God's righteousness. So you will remember perhaps a look at the end of chapter 9 or actually the beginning of chapter 10. um, uh, Verse 3. For not knowing the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. They didn't want God's righteousness. They wanted their own. But then... I find in myself that's what I want (laughs) to. I don't want to be righteous by the righteousness of Christ. I want to be righteous by what I do so that you will value me, not Jesus, but me. But this is Israel. They rejected God's righteousness. What, What could a just God do in such a situation? Third step. Chapter 11, 1 to 10. In the judgment God preserved a remnant and he will quote from Elijah um, sorry Elijah Uh, just an aside here these three chapters have one third of all Paul's quotations from the Old Testament. There's something like between 70 and 80 quotations from the Old Testament in Paul's letters and a third of them are in this three chapter section. Um, So you, you, you better be up on your Old Testament. <laughs> but God said to Elijah, remember this at Mount, Mount Horeb when he ran from King Queen Jezebel? Yeah. I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed their, ne- their knees to Baal. Were those 7,000 righteous, godly, oh, wonderful people? Or were they also in the category, there is none righteous, no, not one? So how is it that they haven't bowed the knee to Baal? Because God has kept them from it. Kept them loyal to himself. <laughs> yes? Mm-hmm. Right. Fourth step. So he has hardened Israel, and some of the, the hardest language about Israel's uh, present condition is in this verse, uh, chapter 11, 1 to 10. Fourth step. God gave the promises to Gentiles through faith. This is 9, I'm um, sorry, 11, 11 to 24. He has taken away the promises from Israel. This is Hosea 3 at work. He's taken away the promises from Israel and given them, of all things, to dumb Gentiles, idolatrous Gentiles. Gentiles. So as
1: far as uh, it was a covenant God had with the Jews, yeah, but it's, uh, to the Gentiles it's through faith. Is that correct? Well, it's for
0: the Jews too by faith. Oh, it's always my faith. That's... But they
1: never had to do anything.
0: God just... they, they, he gave them the relationship. I've read something recently again. I've read the idea recently again. When God gave Israel the law on Mount Sinai, was that a good thing or a bad thing? Was it good? That's what we say. But I heard somebody say, um, somebody whom I respect deeply say, They should have said, we can't do it. But I don't think that was an option. When God says, I am your God, you are my people, this you shall do. What, how many options do you have? Zero. So, why, why did God get to give the covenant? Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, they were at Mount Sinai where they saw the, the presence of God on the mountain rumbling and thundering and such.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, Moses did too. Hosea says. Uh, Hebrews says that Moses did. But
1: Moses said, and he kept arguing after God told him what to do. He said, send somebody else.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, That was earlier. This I'm talking about Mount Sinai where Israel is getting the covenant. Yeah. Yeah. But you know that Moses didn't, have, didn't get off there. When, when Moses debated with God, please send send by the hand of, whom, of him whom thou wilt send, which is Hebrew for let George do it. You know, so so, so um, he didn't get off. He didn't get out of the responsibility. There aren't many options. When God says, this is what I want you to do, you don't have many options. So why did Israel get the law, folks? Would it, would it matter to you to know that they got the law because they were unbelieving? No. Hmm?
1: If they got the law because the law showed them that they couldn't do it.
0: No. They got the law because they were unbelieving. But
1: they didn't. I thought the law was given so that they would know
0: what sin is. Uh, the text doesn't say that. Oh. Exodus 19. It looks like we need to go to Exodus 19 next week. Uh, With two minutes left, (laughs) I can't can't do this. Uh, But Exodus 19 makes some rather remarkable promises to Israel and then gives an invitation to them. In Exodus 19, God says to Moses, um, If you will um, keep my covenant. This is early early in the chapters, verse 2, 3, or 4, someplace in there. If you will keep my covenant. What covenant is he talking about? Does, Abra- does Moses even know about the Mosaic covenant in Exodus 19? No. So what, what yeah, circumcision, what, what, what covenant is that? Abrahamic covenant. So if you will keep my covenant, if you will act like Abraham acted, circumcised because that's a sign, as it turns out, of faith. Then then you will become to me a, a royal priesthood and a holy people. And I have asked students for years, did Israel become a holy priesthood? And what, what answer do you expect would come? No. Why is no the right answer?
1: Because
0: there's everybody well, well, but they're sinful priests, so you could have a sinful priesthood potentially. So what does it mean to be a holy priesthood? A royal priesthood. Um, A priest mediates the knowledge of God to man, yes, and the needs of man to God. Did Israel become ever a people who mediated the knowledge of God to the nations? No. Then I have to ask the question, why? And that we will try to answer next week. But let me get the fifth part of the answer here. Verse 5, by giving Israel's blessings to the Gentiles, God's aim was to stir Israel up to jealousy so they'll seek their own promises. And it closes with a beatitude. Look at chapter 11. Here is the most amazing missionary strategy ever in the history of the world. How do you reach a people? By taking the gospel away from them and giving it to somebody else. So, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the wealth of both the knowledge, uh, the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Or who has given to him, and he will repay it to him? Because of him are all things. And through him are all things, and unto him are all things. It will be by giving the gospel to the Gentiles that Israel finally will be brought to faith. If I wanted to reach Albania, I'd not ever go to, uh, to Germany with the goal of reaching Albania. No, I'm not going to go to Albania. I'm just going to go to Germany. Is that the way you do it? It's the way God does it then what Isaiah says uh, in, in, on behalf of God, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. And when I bring God down to the way my thinking works, I have made him an idol and less than God, and I am an idolater. In that happy note, let's close with prayer. <laughs> Father, this is a hard passage for many of us, We need to understand it, though, and I need to teach it rightly. So guide my thoughts and protect these dear people from anything false that I would say. Help them to correct me. But lead us in the way that gives most most glory to you and to your great son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.